I'm Gary Bard, founder and editor-in-chief of today's Caregiver Magazine and Caregiver.com, and your host for our weekly caregiving podcast series. In this podcast, we will introduce you to many of the leading caregiving thought leaders, authors, experts, and even caregivers with famous faces who have graced the covers of our magazine. A study recently published by the Rosen Carter Institute and Duke University offers solutions for how communities can support family caregivers during a natural disaster. And it is my pleasure that Dr. Jennifer Olson, CEO of the Rosen Carter Institute, is here to talk with us about uh, the results of that study. And Dr. Olson, in a, in a strange bit of fate, we happen to be talking as Hurricane Nicole is actually churning right outside my door. So you can imagine how interested I am to hear about the results of this study. Thank you, Gary, uh, for talking to me about this. And I hope you stay safe uh, through whatever comes outside your door. Um, <laughs> as we know, caregivers aren't immune to natural disasters, uh, but are rarely part of the preparedness and response conversation. So one of the things uh, that we talked to local communities about was how uh, first responders aren't aware of who caregivers are in their community, right? Um, yeah. And so that meant, uh, is there a registry or a sticker on a door or how do we create more of that awareness um, for first responders? But the other part of that was that we learned that many uh, first responders uh, thought that most people who are ill, aging, or disabled live in a facility, which we know many caregivers, that is not true for right. most families. Um, and so we would talk to individuals who are caring for someone uh, with dementia, and the first responders would be convinced that all people who are struggling with Alzheimer's are in memory care units, not in their their very community. So a lot of awareness building on that end is necessary. Um, and the other big thing is that while states and local governments may create uh, shelter settings or medical special needs shelters, they may not have the right mix of location for somebody who's struggling with cognitive issues or who has, you know, sensory issues. And, and so the caregiver is unsure of if they bring their care recipient, their loved one to this location, if it's going to be the right setting for them. You know, if, if it's a very loud environment, that's not great for someone with traumatic brain injury, you know, with constant noise and light. Well, then I should stay at home, even if that's really risky. How do we communicate to caregivers what environments are going to be safe for the types of individuals that they're caring for? And how do we thoughtfully create a space that is for both caregiver and care recipient? How does the survey um, teach us to reach out to these and train these first responders? So that's some of the work we're doing now in our local community in rural Georgia. Um, we're working with our sheriff's department um, on, on these ed education elements and on thinking about if they're uh, tips and toolkits for both family caregivers and those first responders. Um, we're also doing some work with the Department of Veterans Affairs focused on caregivers of veterans um, so that when they do their 
messaging out to veterans, they're also thinking about what are the messages that need to go to the caregivers of veterans, or how do we make that, make sure that that community of caregivers is part of what we're doing. Is there anything you could um, suggest to not just first responders, but um, the, the uh, um, government, you know, uh, agencies who interact with the caregivers in our, in our, like, the, like the postal workers or anything you can suggest to them to recognize what they're seeing when they see a family with the caregiving challenges? I think one part of that is um, kind of creating this understanding that uh, if you come to a house or are engaging with someone who has any sort of uh, medical or uh, any sort of challenge, right? That there is often someone else who is either living in that home or who is supporting that person um, to always look for the person behind the person that you're treating or connecting with. Um, because that person will both have significant information that would help you in what you're trying to engage with that, uh, the individual on, um, but also they're going to be one of your uh, biggest allies in either messaging or suggesting to someone kind of what to do next. Uh, I think the other thing that we have seen and are experiencing is that we often think about um, emergency workers as a category of individuals, but don't recognize that amongst the emergency workforce, there are caregivers. Yeah. yeah, there are caregivers in the postal service, there are caregivers in the sheriff's department, EMS, fire. Um, and uh, that means that they are themselves kind of grappling with these issues, uh, but may not be thinking there are others like me in the community I'm serving. So even just having some of those stories getting shared is an important step. And, and one of the things I, I, I saw was a, uh, that you want to design specialized emergency preparation and management services. So that sounds like an all-inclusive uh, overview of uh, what the system uh, can create to help caregivers in the community. Yes, um, I think we'd like to see that when a community, um, you know, goes through through a process to be you know, hurricane ready or hurricane prepared, you see those signs on the street, um, is there a similar process and kind of certification uh, to show that your caregiver supportive or your caregiver ready for these disasters? Um, and that means not just during the you know, 24 hours prior, that's is your annual planning, including kind of caregiver like intention, is your uh, resilience and response recovery activities, thinking about caregivers? Um, and are you recognizing that indeed caregivers are the first first responders in most households? And so uh, you'd be well served to, to support them. Um, we've also been thinking about how supporting caregivers can help to reduce some of the burdens on emergency services during a disaster. Right. If the caregiver has um, a plan in place and understands what their options are, perhaps they'll be less likely to call 911 with that non-urgent issue. That idea of a caregiver registry per community uh, is is really intelligent. How how do you see that uh, manifesting itself? 
Well, that's what we're just getting started on thinking about. Um, it's a lot easier when you live in a town of 700. So um, <laughs> perhaps, um, you know, if we can figure it out here, we can think about how it plays out in other communities. Um, but we'd, we'd love to work with uh, first responders across the country who are trying to solve this um, in their own backyard. I suspect, um, as I said before, there are many people who are working in emergency operations centers who are concerned if the home health aid is gonna make it in the middle of the flood while they're trying to save others. So you're using your community as a, a test case that you <laughs> that's, expand that's out. That's right, yeah. so that's right, that's right. I think that's I think that's fantastic. Have have you started doing that yet, or is it just uh, in, in a planning stage? Just in a planning stage, um, and because we had started this work actually and this research um, pre-COVID, um, and like all projects, you know, um, COVID had thrown us some challenges, but it also presented us some uh, unique differences to explore. So this research, uh, we talked to caregivers who were both, who had both experienced natural disasters and had experienced COVID to say like, what parts of preparedness and response in both of these types of events did you feel like was lacking or did you need more support around? And, and I can see where there are differences based on where you live. You know, uh, we have, you know, things right outside our coast to, mm -hmm. to duck and hunker down from and other parts of the country they have earthquakes and other parts of the country they have avalanches. I, I think um, I think there's uh, both like there's a diversity of types of disaster and there's also a diversity in like levels of community readiness. Both of those things have to be taken into account when thinking about caregiver uh, supports in this space. Um, but I think if we kind of go back to what's the first thing we would ask any organization to do who's in that emergency response field to say like, have I thought about how this is going to play out for a caregiver who's caring for someone who has mobility challenges? Have I thought through what that looks like? Cognitive challenges, sensory challenges. Do I have, is it clear, are my instructions clear that they are like that. There's a plan and a place uh, for individuals and their caregivers, um, and and then the diversity of disasters that they're planning for uh, can be grappled with. Did anything surprise you when uh, RCI and Duke was putting this survey together? Um, I think that the one of the biggest um, surprises was that. Um, Caregivers had felt like they had seen and gotten a lot of what we call traditional lists of supplies and services. You know, that, that especially if you live in a place that's uh, hurricane prone, you've gotten mailings and seen plenty of commercials about making sure you have uh, me medicine, water, um, food. Um, but that like, th and those things were people had thought about for themselves, but when it came to all of the supplies and supports and services that they need for someone else, that was a place of extreme stress and challenge um, that, that they, were, they had figured out and kind of could follow the checklist um, for their own needs, but there was no similar checklist of, if I'm caring for someone who needs uh, you know, certain types of refrigerated food, what am I, you know, how am I gonna deal with that? If I'm caring for someone who is prone to wandering, what am I gonna do about that? You know, what, 
that's a different list a different supply list. It's both, you know, like um, skills that you have to have and scenarios you have to walk through. Um, and that caregivers felt like there hadn't been any um, supports that they had seen that helped them with that uh, whole set of challenges. What advice do you have at this point for family caregivers to prepare for emergencies? Uh, I think the, the biggest um, thing I would say is that you um, can and should feel empowered to reach out to your emergency services in a non-disaster time. So if you're living in you know, blizzard area, call them in the summer. If you're in hurricane space, call them in the winter. Tell them your scenario and ask what the plan is in your community for individuals like uh, that are experiencing what you're experiencing. Um, eventually, obviously, we'd love communities to have thought through all those things for caregivers. Um, but at this point, the best thing we can suggest is that caregivers, much like they have their care plan for day-to-day -day operations, that they think about a care plan um, for, for disasters. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the timing of this conversation. Uh, and sure. uh, I, I know you'll be, obviously, you help a lot of caregivers. Uh, please send my regards to uh, Mrs. Carter. And uh, I, I see the background back there. So okay. great to see the cover. Yeah. Yeah. We have that framed in our office. So uh, I've seen that uh, cover many times in the halls.